0: Country of Dust is all about the stories of a changing Armenia. But Naidi, Jeremy, and I realized that we've never really told you about how this country has changed each of us. We had a conversation about it recently, and that's what we're sharing with you today. A look back on how we each started our relationship with Armenia. It's a little something to hold you over while we work on our second season. Speaking of which, a quick announcement. We have started a crowdfunding campaign to help produce our second season. We love making this show, but putting together a podcast like ours takes a lot of work, and we need your help to keep making it happen. Anything you can give is appreciated. Please donate if you can, and share it with your friends and family. The link to the campaign is in the description of the episode and on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, on with the show.
1: Nairi, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you remember when you first realized or found out or knew that Armenia was a country?
2: I do. I remember the exact moment that I realized that, that the fact that Armenia is a country, is an actual place, entered my consciousness.
1: There's like a moment.
2: Yes, there's an actual moment. And the moment was actually the 1988 earthquake in Yomdi. So I was four, almost five. Um, and I always knew I was Armenian. Like we spoke Armenian at home. I went to an Armenian kindergarten. Um, but my parents are from Lebanon. And so when they talked about back home, it was about Lebanon. And to me, Armenian was like the language and the songs and the food, um, But I didn't associate it with an actual country until I went to kindergarten one day in December 1988. And in our morning assembly, the mood was very somber. And I remember there were teachers crying. And our principal announced that there had been an earthquake in Armenia. And that a lot of people had died. A lot of people had lost their homes. So that's when I was like, oh, there's this place and they've gone through this very sad terrible thing a lot of people have died and they need our help um and i remember then i went home and that was maybe the first time i remember seeing my dad cry mm. and my parents told us that this year um you know they they wrote a letter to santa And Santa knows that the kids in Armenia really need a lot of things, more than we do, and so that whatever presents he had for us, he'd be sending to the kids in Armenia. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, I don't know exactly what my parents gave. We grew up with enough, but, like, not a lot. And I think that whatever expendable income they had, they donated to earthquake relief. And in the end, we did get, like, some... Christmas presents, too. Um, Yeah, so in my head, being Armenian, there was, like, all of the things that we're proud of. You know, it's, like, the music and the language and all of that. And and then there was this place, Armenia, that was just this sad, tragic place.
0: Mm -hmm. So at that point, when you realize there's a country called Armenia, and you are Armenian, did you think, why am I not there? Did, that, did you ask your parents? Did you think about that at all? Did you think about you want to go to that place? At that point, I'm not sure. I was like
2: four or five years old. I don't remember thinking, why am I not there?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I did know, like I always kind of knew in my bones that my parents are, like the place that I live is not the place that my parents are from. And my parents have had to leave the place that they're from and they're like they don't quite fit in here and and i kind of knew it's not like by their choice they had to leave because of circumstances but i don't know if i put together like why is that place not armenia i don't know mm-hmm. but then as i got a few years older and through my i went to this after school armenian program and through that community i started meeting people from the republic of armenia Um, and they spoke a different Armenian and, you know, they were like very different in every, like they, the way they carried themselves was different. They didn't feel culturally similar to me the way other Armenians whose parents were from the Middle East did. Um, and so then it definitely entered my consciousness that there's this other place that speaks this other Armenian. And then in the summer of 1994, the principal of that after-school program organized a trip to Armenia, and that was my first time coming here. I was ten, and that was just like a few months after the ceasefire of the first Artsakh war. Mm-hmm. I think the ceasefire was in May, and we came in July. And I mean, you were here. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you know what so it crazy, was like. like you're here. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So there was like the energy crisis going on. Right. Um, there was. Power only a few hours a day. Water was constantly cut. And we came for like six weeks.
0: Wow, it's a long time for a 10-year-old to be away.
2: Yeah. And at that point, I'd never even been to like a sleepaway camp.
0: Wait, tell us what it was like to come to Romania as a 10-year-old in 1994.
2: Uh, It was such a huge experience. And it's really one of the points in my life that Changed everything. Mm. Um, I remember thinking and actually saying to Arpi, my, my principal, um, aren't there any happy places in Armenia? Because um, mm. we went, you know, we went to Tsitsernakaberd, and at that point the eternal flame was out. Like it wasn't, there wasn't gas to light it. Mm-hmm both the history of the places we were learning about and the moment we were in, it was, the places were sad. Uh, But at the same time, we met so many, like, joyous and very life-filled people. Anywhere we went, people would just welcome us into their homes and, like, set these beautiful tables. And I knew that, you know people who didn't have very much were just mm-hmm. like pulling out all the stops to welcome us. Meeting kids our age in the streets and like playing with them, playing in the, the fountain in Republic Square mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. you know, kids mm-hmm. would swim in it in their underwear. Yeah. And so we did that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
0: very authentic experience. Yeah. You experience. <laughs> um,
2: and so for me, it was like both of these things at once. It was like gray and sad places, but, so much life in the people who were here and all of a sudden it became like a, like a multidimensional place for me. And it, that's really what started my relationship with this place. And yeah, from then on, when people would ask me like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It wasn't a job. I would just say something to do with Armenia. So, yeah. <laughs> And here I Look am you now. <laughs> doing something to do with Armenia. Um,
0: yeah. Maybe you and I like walked on the same street and like saw each other. And I was 15 at a time, but yeah, yeah, it's crazy that we were at the same place at the same time and we wouldn't, wouldn't get to know each other until, uh, I don't know, 20 years after yeah.
2: that. I feel like we definitely walked past <laughs> each other. <laughs>
1: <sighs> um, Gohar. Yes. Do you remember the first time when you realized that I mean you were living in Armenia <laughs> but that Armenia was its own place separate from uh the Soviet Union I guess.
0: Right. So I was born in Soviet Armenia and I was raised in Soviet Armenia. And I actually have quite fond memories of those days. You know, I was like a kid running around and you know picking up mulberry from the trees and at the same time I have like this very like Armenian experiences, like watching women wash carpets, you know, outside their house with a water hose. But in school and also at home, I was consuming like Russian cartoons and books and and music and um, didn't really have much connection with Armenian literature uh, or culture at all. I, my parents never took us to church like I don't have all. This. Was there a church like in Soviet times? You could go to church. You could go to church. Yeah, I actually remember one day my dad brought a Bible home, and he got it from a black market, and he was like, "You can't tell anybody we have this in our house." Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I was like, "Okay, this is going to be a secret." <laughs> I'm so curious why he would
2: get it if he's not a practicing Christian or if he's not like especially religious.
0: You know, when I think about it now, I think he was just trying to rebel in his way. Because I remember I was like learning all these songs about like great leader Lenin, and I would come home and be like, "Dad, I learned this song about Lenin." And he was like, oh, "I can't believe they teach you that." I was like, "What do you mean? That's our great leader. How can you say things like that?" But I could feel this like anti-Soviet sentiment coming from him, and mm-hmm. he was doing these things. Like I remember one day he was like telling me all about like U.S. Constitution and how it's this wonderful document. And I was like, "What?
2: <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: how old were you?" And your dad told you about the U.S. Constitution. I don't, maybe like seven or eight. <laughs>
1: Wait, do you remember what he said? He was like, this is the U.S. Constitution, a beautiful document. Yeah,
0: very similar. And he was like, you know, people in U.S. are very proud of their country and they're walking with their heads up. I was like, oh, oh <laughs> wow. what about Lenin? <laughs> <laughs> what about Papa Lenin? <laughs> Back then, things were a little different, I guess. And all of that also started to change in 1988 when the Karabakh movement started. And I remember my parents were actively involved. I couldn't really understand what was going, but they would, you know, go to the Opera Square to to take part in the demonstrations. And I remember seeing like thousands of thousands of people like chanting "Miatsum, Miatsum," you know. And Miatsum means. Miatsum means unification, unity. Yeah. Meaning Arabah should be united with with Armenia, you know. Basically, they wanted for Nagorno-Karabakh, which is populated by Armenians and was part of Soviet Azerbaijan to become part of Soviet Armenia. That's when, like, I started to, like, learn more about Armenia and what's happening. My parents took us to a Russian school and...
2: But why did they send you to Russian school?
0: Oh, yeah. So they sent us to Russian school because back then, objectively, Russian schools were much better than Armenian schools. But in... After four or three or four years, they moved us to an Armenian school. And I remember that one September, they're like, okay, you're going to go to this Armenian school now. Because Armenian children should go to Armenian school. It was a little bit hard in the, in the beginning because my Armenian was horrible, actually. I couldn't read and write, but I, I learned.
1: What was different about Armenian school? Like, What's different about Armenian school and Russian school in the 80s in Yerevan?
0: I think it just it didn't have as many resources as the Russian school, you know. Fewer good teachers. You know, for the longest time, I kind of blamed them for it. as was like, I could have known more and like be a more educated person if I stayed in that school. But I fully understand why they did that, of course. It was a matter of principle. It was a matter of like rebelling and like that it was important for them more than good education. It was important for them that we grow up Armenian. I remember I was learning Armenian history and, and I've never done that in Russian school. We had like one class like once a week that was teaching us Armenian, how to read and write in Armenian. And that was it. So my worldview kind of like shifted from learning about Soviet Union and now learning about Armenia and Armenian history. These
2: years of like Rarabagh movement, mm-hmm. Soviet Union collapsing, early years of independence, like those were your childhood years were shaped by
0: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) I remember so well the day that the the Berlin wall fell. And the reason I remember this as a kid is because my dad made such a huge deal about it. (laughs) We had this political map on our in a room, and he was, like, so excited. Like, I remember him jumping up and down. He probably wasn't, but he was, like, so excited. And he was, like, there's two countries, you know, East Germany, West Germany are now one country. And he, like, colored it with one, like, pencil so they're the same color. And I was, like, but why does it matter? Like, I couldn't understand as a kid. Um How old were you? Nine. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was, like, <laughs> Germany is so far. Like, I've, I don't think we're ever going to go there. Like, why does this matter? <laughs> um. I actually remember my my dad once brought a gun home. It was like a revolver.
1: Why did he ha- get a gun?
0: I know, you know, so I actually asked him recently. I was like, do you remember you, you brought home this, like, revolver? And what was that about? And he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, back then, so some people already knew that they there's going to be a war in Artsakh and they're trying to arm themselves. And because they didn't have rifles and firearms they took some weapons from Armenian police like they like attacked police and like took some of their weapons wow and then i was like we had a my parents had a friend who fought in the war and i was like did he take it did aric take it to war with him they're like no no that will be like <laughs> they realized at some point that it's not going to be useful in combat so they i think they returned turned into the police huh. but it
1: just but bef- before then they were like there will be a war in Artsakh, so we should attack the police and take their weapons <laughs> so we can go to the war with their guns?
0: Uh. <laughs> they're like, well, this is better than nothing. I have no idea I what guess, they're thinking. <laughs> I
2: guess maybe there was just the sense that, like, we need to arm ourselves. Like, we, they don't know exactly what's coming, right? But there's the sense that, like, things might get violent mm-hmm. and, like, we need to be prepared. That's yeah. my guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but... And then we had, of course, you know, right after we had the um, the dark and cold years <clears throat> when we had no water and no electricity no gas, and um, you had to wait in a line to get bread. But for me, it wasn't it wasn't that hard because as a kid, you're more resilient. You don't really understand how hard it is and what's happening. So, and I also remember there's a lot of sense. This, there's this sense of unity, and everybody was helping each other. You know, we get together when there is a um, major catastrophe happening and we help each other. And so there was that sense of people helping each other and we're all in this together. And that was, it felt nice.
1: It feel like we're this country and we're relying on each other to build this country up like that?
0: Yeah. And like, this is what we wanted and this is the price we're willing to pay. You know, we're going to be alone, but we're going to get stronger and bigger. We're going to overcome this and things are going to be great.
2: So there was a sense of like a, Righteous cause.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think like growing up in those times and seeing my parents being so politically active also shaped how I moved in this world because I was I since I was seventeen I like started joining protests and like that's how that's shaped how my parents, you know, did things shaped who I became.
1: What was the protest you went to when you were seventeen?
0: So we had elections Oh my god ninety six I think when Lelevant Petrosano was the first first president of um Republic of armenia he we had elections and he didn't really win, but he said i won and so there is protests against him and I was an active part of that hmm.
2: at seventeen
0: at seventeen but I was still going to school and also like skipping school and going to protests
2: <laughs> like your childhood was very much shaped by. It wasn't just like this happens to be the place that you live. So much of what your parents were going through and what you were going through had to do with what the country was going through.
0: Exactly, and you know the way the way Armenia changed. Also, it also changed who I am. Right, mm-hmm. my identity changed
2: mm-hmm.
0: as the country's identity changed. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. now we will ask questions to Jeremy. All right. <laughs> So I
2: think, you know, for me and Gohar, even in different corners of the world, like our Armenian-ness was, in one form or another, it was something that was in our heads from early childhood, right? Um, Was it like that for you?
1: (sighs) I I was just a kid growing up in California. I I didn't really think of myself as... Mm hmm being Armenian or thinking about that too much at all.
0: Did your friends knew you were Armenian?
1: No. Or mm-hmm. they, if they did, they were like, I don't even know what that is. Like, whatever. I forgot about it already.
2: <laughs> also, your last name isn't Armenian, right?
1: My last name isn't Armenian. My mom is Armenian.
2: Born in the U.S.
1: Born in the U.S. My, my father isn't. And my mom's father lived through the genocide, and then came to the U.S.
2: But did you do any, like, Armenian activities?
1: I remember going to the Armenian church with my grandmother. They had a a yearly bazaar there, and I remember eating (laughs) shish kebab (laughs) and liking it.
0: So you came to Armenia in 2008— Tell us yeah. more about what you did here and how long you stayed here and what you thought about Armenia. What were your, your first impressions?
1: I was in Armenia for six months and it was not easy. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. You know, I like... It's hard to talk with people. The infrastructure wasn't what I was used to. I remember being there in the winter and like all the streets were... Covered in ice, and I would slip all the time, and like just like things like that. Like my room didn't really have that good heat. It did like a little space heater that one time exploded and caught fire. Oh, no. and, <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> and you know, like I come from a place where there's an even winter. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard for me to connect with local Armenians back then. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a, as much like common ground to connect over. Um, but I, I had a great time. It was hard, but wonderful. And then I kept on coming back. Would you
2: say you're the most Armenian person in your family?
1: Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have some uncles and some cousins, but I'm in the running.
2: (laughs) But I bet you've been to Armenia more than them.
1: I've. Definitely spent the most time in Armenia. (laughs) So you win. (laughs) I win. Most Armenian in the (laughs) I'm
2: I'm actually just now realizing a similarity in our stories. You come here, it's like, get to know this place, and then feel this sense of like, I have some skills, I have some things I can do. I want those things to be applied to this place. And I feel like that's kind of, I mean, that's... That's. It sounds like you had a similar thing, and that's kind of what you're doing now, too.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It it feels like it matters to me what Mm -hmm. happens to the country, you know? And it's very fulfilling in a way that other things in my life, it's more difficult to find that fulfillment.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's something you don't necessarily have to overanalyze, that sense of like... It, this place matters to me. Like I care about what happens, and letting that like lead what you do. I think that's just really nice when you find it.
0: Country of Dust is created and produced by Nadia Abrahamian, Jeremy Dalmas, and Gohar Hachatrian. Sound engineering and music by Jeremy Dalmas. Thank you for listening. To donate to our crowdfunding campaign, click on the link in the description of this episode. And please spread the word.